Despite how we often tend to think of it, I have a feeling that the, the, uh, the setting where Jesus was born probably sounded a lot more like what we were hearing during the scripture reading than what we tend to think of. You have a baby here. It's crying, it's stuff. And we have these expectations that, you know, of course, you know, uh, the, the carol we sing, No Crying He Makes, seems to me it can't be anything further from the truth if you're around a baby. But you know, we, have these, we have these idyllic ideas of what that scene was like, and we do the same thing with our lives. You know, we, we have these idyllic ideas of what life should be. And, and we, the truth of the matter is, we want life to be like this, and most of the time, life is like this. Life is a series, so often, of ups and downs, victories and failures, good things and bad things. And in the midst of that, we get frustrated with ourselves, we get frustrated with others, we get frustrated with God. I think that's a similar situation in which Israel finds itself as we come to the prophet Micah. Micah is prophesying about what is going to happen to Israel. As you walk through this prophecy, you find this recurring pattern of because of your sin, you're going into exile, then I'm going to help you. Because of your sin, you're going into exile, then I'm going to help you. And you come to chapter 5 and God says to them, yes, Things are going to be bad. He used the term for verse 1 is going to strike the ruler, your ruler on the cheek. This is not good. Assyria has come and Assyria is going to do damage to you. And, and he's going to, they're going to take you into exile. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But the promise he makes here is, I'm going to bring you home. He says, you're going to return from exile and I'm going to bring you home. And home and Christmas are often connected. I mean, a lot of what we do, some of you here this morning are home for Christmas. And we think a lot of our most profound memories of Christmas have to do with home. Family. Going someplace to be with family. People coming to where we are to be together for this holiday. We, have a, we even have a lot of songs about it. Right? I'll be home for Christmas. Home for the holidays. We, 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 have the, we, we have this idyllic idea that getting home means safety, security, comfort. But that's not true for everyone. For some people, the metaphor of home is not a positive memory, it's a negative memory. For some people, it doesn't, it doesn't communicate warmth and security and love and affection and comfort. It's something completely different. Pain, struggle, chaos, turmoil. And, and in, in the midst of that, we're trying to figure out what exactly Christmas means. And to our yearning for home, Christ comes. I think one of the reasons why it's so painful when home isn't that place of security and safety is because we are all wired to want to be home. 
Home should be that place for us. Home is supposed to be that place of comfort, a place of love and warmth. And when it's not, the pain is that much deeper. But God says to Israel and to us, I'm bringing you home. And maybe the best description of that in this passage is that you will live in peace. Home will be peace. Again, for some of us, that's not the image of home that we have. It's anything but peace. But God says, when you're home, there'll be peace. That word, it's the word shalom. And it it carries that connotation of a blessing, of wholeness, completeness. I have in my mind the image of of a puzzle and putting in the last piece. Or going through a recipe and adding the last ingredient. Or a little closer to what many of us have experienced, it's putting the last period on that paper that's due. Or hitting the send button to the last grade that's due. You know, it's completion, it's wholeness, it's fulfillment, it's, it's all these scattered pieces coming together and creating the image that they're supposed to be. And that's why this word can be a blessing and a, and a word of greeting to people. We're saying, we want you to have wholeness, completeness, we want you to be blessed. And God says, that's what it's going to mean to be home. It's going to be blessed because he is our peace. Because the one who comes is going to bring you home to peace. The hard thing about that, I think, for us is that we tend to think of peace as meaning there are no problems, there are no difficulties, there are no struggles. And the truth is, eventually, we will get to that. Eventually, when Jesus reappears, when Jesus comes a second time, then we will know peace like that. But for now, it is sort of peace in spite of. It is peace in the midst of. The ups and the downs, the good and the bad, the struggles and the victories. One of his books, Mark Laberton, talks about the difference between living in exile and living in exodus. And he he talks about how when you live in exodus, it's all about getting freedom. It's all about being free from slavery, free from chains, free from our enemies. It is running away from that. Like Israel escaping Egypt. But living in exile is is living in the midst of it. And being a presence in the midst of it. Being light and salt in the midst of it. And he says it's not a far stretch to to see that the American church, I, I would say probably the church around the world, but particularly the American church is living in exile. We live in a land that, that often rejects God, ignores God, politely dismisses God, is apathetic and sometimes worse toward God. And our natural inclination, because we want to be home, is to run home. And we're called to stay. As Jeremiah says, God says to, the, says to Jeremiah, tell the people to engage in making the city the best place it can be. 
But we're tempted to want to run home. I was thinking about that this week, and I was reminded of an event that took place in my life when I was in second grade. It's funny how you remember certain things, especially, you know, 20 or 25 years ago. It's hard to remember that kind of stuff. (laughs) But, you know, I I can distinctly remember it's in second grade. We live in the little town of Mitchell, Indiana, sort of southern Indiana. And, um, And for some reason that year... They put the second graders into, I can remember, Emerson Elementary School. Isn't that weird? Do you remember that? Uh, we, went to, we were in the school, and most of the other, the older grades were in Burris Elementary School, near the side of this little town. And so we're, we're in the school, and, uh, and I made friends with a, a boy in my class whose father was a pastor of a Baptist church in town. And my dad was a minister as well, and so we had this connection, and we became good friends, and we decided that... After school one day, I would go to his house and spend the night and then come back to school the next day with him. So we, um, we went home on the bus together and uh, went to his house. And for some reason, I was scared to death of his father. I, I don't know why. I, I have no idea why. That I don't remember. I don't remember why. Um, you know, I don't know if it was because we were Wesleyan and he was Baptist. I don't know if that had something to do with it. Uh, I, I don't know. But, you know, I don't know. It seems like he had a beard. Maybe that scared me. I, I don't know what it was. I think he was a big guy. But for some reason, he scared me. And, and, I, and I remember thinking the whole time I was scared about his dad coming home from work that day and being in their house. And I have no idea why. I think he was a really nice man. But I was scared of him. Well, you know, so all this is in my mind. And he happened to live across the street from Burris Elementary School where my older sister was in school. And they had a playground there, so we went over, and we were playing on the swings and all that stuff. And we decided, okay, we were time to go home. As we're walking from the back of the school to the front, I look up, and here comes my sister walking out of the school with, I think, her Girl Scout troop. And getting ready to get in the car with one of her friend's mothers to take them home. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm getting ready to go home to his house. His dad's coming home soon. I think this is an act of God. I, couldn't, I didn't know the theology of that when I was in second grade, but I think that's what was going on. And in that moment, I made this split-second decision, and I jumped in the car with my sister and took off and went home with her. And my little friend just standing there like, what just happened here? <laughs> and we, my, I know my sister, she's here today, and I know she was embarrassed to death, you know, what this is going on. And I'm walking in the house, and my mom is doing a double-take. What are you doing here? And then it's like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm going to kill you. What are you doing to me here? And, you know, making phone calls and all these apologies of what's going on. But I just wanted to run home. I was scared, and I wanted to run home. And there's something about that in us that we just want to run home. We just want to get away. And sometimes that's what worship becomes for us. Worship becomes a place where we run away from the rest of the world. And it's a place where we cloister ourselves off. And even as Christians, we can do that. We think that it's just about walling ourselves off from all the stuff of the world that that makes us worried and anxious and fearful. And and if we could just just surround ourselves together and, and circle the wagons, then everything would be fine. But the truth of the matter is, God's called us to live in exile in this world. And the coming of Jesus doesn't mean we just run. It means that we are now called to engage the world. We have light to share in the darkness. 
We have hope to share in, in despair. We have a presence to be a witness for the gospel. And that will mean engaging in the world and loving the world. Instead of seeing people who are opposed to God as the enemy, we see them as people God loves and who need Jesus. And we live our lives in such a way that 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 shines through us. And instead of living in fear that causes us to run away, we live in the hope that we're going home. We live in that hope. And that hope gives us strength and identity and focus and everything that we need to be the presence of God in the world for Jesus. What's so fascinating to me about about this passage and all of this is that God says that I'm going to do this in a way that you will not expect. What I would expect God to do, and if I were writing the script, I would try to think of the most sensational, spectacular thing God could do. And then people would step back and take notice. Wow. And instead... Micah says, I'm going to come to Bethlehem, which is the least of all the cities of Judah. That word least, it means insignificant. It is what you call the, the youngest child in the family. It's, it's what they called David when, the, when Samuel came looking for a king. And Jesse lines up all of his sons. He's like, nope. Nope, 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 nope. Got any more? Well, he's got David, but he's insignificant. That's the one I want. Isn't it fascinating how God loves to take the small and do great things out of it? That ought to encourage us about our lives. But God works in this insignificant place, and he works in the common things of life. It's just a baby born. It's just another baby. I mean, when the angels appear to the shepherds, I mean, that's pretty spectacular. But he tells them, all right, go to Bethlehem and find a baby. And the surprising thing is that the baby's not in the palace. And the baby's not even in the temple. The baby's lying in a manger. That's what sets this baby apart. It's lying in a manger. It is the least expected thing for God to do. And God comes in humility and in commonness and in vulnerability. And why does he do that? Because he wants a real relationship with us. He wants a real relationship with us. Jesus is born into the world because he wants a real relationship with us. This is not Superman coming into the world from some other planet who appears to be human but's not. He's not. This is not. Jesus is not in in disguise like Superman with his glasses. No, I've never understood how people. I mean, the IQ of the people of Metropolis. You know that. <laughs> I don't recognize him. Well, now I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's weird, right? I mean, what is that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm off on a tangent there. You know, he's not in disguise. It's God in flesh. Jesus is born. It's the one thing among all the things. It is the one thing that every human being has in common. We're all born of a mother. Every one of us. You are, and 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 I am. All of us. 
And so is Jesus. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And I think we take it for granted because we've heard the story so often. And this is how God comes to bring us home. This is how God comes to bring peace. And Micah says he is not just bringing peace. He is our peace. He is the essence of peace. It's in him. And he calls us to believe that his coming really means that. He calls us to engage ourselves in this counterintuitive plan for changing the world. And to be that kind of light and salt and witness. To be willing to live in exile, however we may have gotten here. To live in exile as his people who make a difference in his world. That's what he's calling us to. And we, have, we live with restless hearts. Because there is something in us that wants to be home. It's the most natural thing in the world. And as I was pondering that, I was thinking about the words of St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I don't think he means our hearts are restless until Jesus returns and we're finally home. I think he means our hearts are restless until now. We find our rest in you. And that's really what this table is about. Now this table leads us backwards in history to what God has done. It points us forward to what God has promised to do. And it meets us right here in the moment where we live. God at work now. Giving us grace and mercy and peace and life and witness and joy. Because Jesus has come. And the sign that we really believe that is that we live as if we believe it. Holy Father, we want to thank you for the gift of Christ, for your grace and mercy upon us. And that his coming into the world is to engage us in real relationship with you and to be a light for others. Father, as we, as we come to this table today, we pray, Father, that you will give us grace to see you and to hear you and to be open to you. Father, we pray that you will remind us of all that you've done for us in Christ. And we pray that you will fill us with the hope that is ours in Christ. May your blessing be poured out upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we will do so to your glory the deepening of our souls and our walk with you. 
to the witness of your grace in us and in this world. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.